Welcome into Weekly Rose. I'm Nate. I'm Ethan. And this is the disaster episode. Boom. Boom. It's going to be a, another awesome episode. Hope you enjoyed the last one and the last few as well. Yeah. We've been having fun doing it. I think so. It's a, always a blast down here in, in the dungeon. Mm. It doesn't. I don't think it's really much of a dungeon. No. It's kind of just a crappy room. It's not crappy. Well, it's not too bad. I mean, we've, it looks crappy. We've classed it up a little bit. With we the, still got to kick it up a couple notches. A couple and, notches. Because I, I brought two movie posters, oh, six months ago. Yeah, <laughs> That have just still, been sitting here rolled up. We're, we hired an Amish man to make the frames, and he's very slow. No. If anybody knows where they can, you can get a movie poster, like a, like a theatrical film poster-sized poster frame that doesn't cost like $8,000, please let us know. Because yeah. uh, these are 27 by 40. Which is a different... Which is... Like four or five inches bigger than like the ones you buy at like any store, you know what I mean? Yeah, because these other ones that we have up are regular like, right. poster side. Well, these are ones that were like actual movie posters at one time. Yeah, they were in a theater. Yeah, because those are different dimensions. Uh, but Anyways. this is a this is a disaster <laughs> episode. Um, so the reason we went with disaster is we are going to review the the new release Deepwater Horizon. Mm-hmm. The new it's not a Mark. Can you call it a Mark Wahlberg film? I call it a Mark Wahlberg. Uh, uh, Vehicle, vehicle. That's true because he's. It's another one of his films. But you know what? I think you're right. He's. I mean, he's. He is the main character, but he's not the by far. He's not like necessarily the focus of the movie. Yeah, but I think he's like the main draw. Like sure. if there were to be a, if if at some theater, I'm sure out there still does a traditional marquee. Oh yeah. If if they were to do this film, they'd probably say Deepwater Horizon, Mark Wahlberg, and maybe and, Kurt Russell, and Kurt Russell, and then yeah. director. We'll get Peter to Berg. Peter Berg. And then our album of the week is the new uh, Danny Brown album, Atrocity Ex- Exhibition, mm-hmm. which um, I've been following Danny Brown for some time. Right. And uh, obviously fits into our theme. Disaster. Because, I mean, in a way, Atrocity, Atrocity. Exhibition. Um, I would say some people would uh, an- analyze this album as the portrait of a disaster of a lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's one way to put it. But um, and our, what is our beer of the week this week? Oh, this is an exciting one. This is actually one I've been wanting to try for a while, and it just magically fit into this theme at least a little bit when I was at the store before. Um, this is a um, 
a beer from the Alaskan Brewing Company up in Alaska. This is part of their pilot series, which is a, a series of beers they've been releasing that are only released in 22-ounce bombers. Um, I've had some of the other ones, and for the most part, they, they're, they're, they're a brewery that in general I think is more of a malt-oriented type brewery, right? Like they're not necessarily super jacked up on the IPA. So I was pumped to see that this beer here, which is called Smash Galaxy, um, is a double IPA. Um, which is described uh, quickly in the bottle as a single malt and a single hop IPA. So a lot of IPAs you see will use a variety of hops. This one only has one, and it also only has one malt, so I'm guessing this will be a very clean, sort of e- easy-drinking IPA. But um, So I'll open it up here. It comes in at about 8.5% alcohol by volume. Um, it was only about 8 bucks for the bomber, so... Mm, it smells good. Um, so about... Um, Par for course, I think, maybe even a little bit low for an IPA. And I'm pouring it out here. Have you had any uh, beers from them before? I have. I have, I think in my cachet, one of their, um, they have a spicy, like a jalapeno or habanero I think that's also part of this pilot series. Yeah, and they've been doing, I think they've been doing that for quite some time in terms of like releasing the bombers and that's, uh, it's so hard to... Well, these are these glasses are a little bit easier. Well, you're doing a really good job at that, man. Usually, I'm just drinking it all myself. It all myself. It's about right there. Six pours for me, none for you. <laughs> Got one bomber into two glasses here. I don't remember. Yeah, but um, so yeah, I mean, I like Alaskan Brewing Company in general, and, and they're um, they're actually based in Alaska, which is yeah. which is pretty incredible. They yeah. have to think getting stuff in and out of there be fairly difficult. Yeah, I don't know much about if they um contract brew or anything to places that are closer i really don't know but i know i like their beer so yeah they have kind of all their artwork on their at least on these pilot series are sort of camping oriented and i thought that the name smash galaxy sort of it fits fit in because you know i think smash galaxy i think of like some sort of enormous interstellar event where like a galaxy is smashing into another one yeah giant disaster but does say in the bottle handcrafted in Juneau, alaska there you go you can't say handcrafted in because normally it'll say brewed in somewhere bottled in you know somewhere right like um big kona brewing out of hawaii they if you drink their beer on the mainland here um it's contract brewed somewhere on the mainland, but if you so the only time you can actually have that big Kona beer brewed in Hawaii is if you are in Hawaii. Yeah, so because that'd be very difficult. But like, this one is brewed in Juneau, you say? Huh? That's crazy. What's well, that? It says mm-hmm. unless they're just totally and total and complete liars, which usually brewers are pretty honest people. It's mm-hmm. good. It's very clean, very crisp. Yes, it's um a lot of you know. I guess this is kind of a stupid thing to say. But it's a little bit hoppier than I was expecting, I guess, after reading the single malt or the single hop. Um, just because they use one variety doesn't mean they didn't use a crap load of hops. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely definitely a more of I, – I would – when it comes to hops, they can be pinier or more of a grapefruit flavor or they can be sweeter, you know what I mean, flowery. Yeah. I think this is more of the piney type flavor for yeah. me at least. No, it gives me a good vibe, a little – pretty clear, a little cloudy – Mm-hmm. Beautiful, yeah, man. It's good. I'm a fan. Bomb, bomb. So um, on to our definition of the word disaster. It is a sudden event. Um, so sorry, it's a noun. And it's a sudden event such as an accident or natural catastrophe that causes great damage or loss of life. Wow. Um, so what, is, what does disaster mean to you? 
Ugh, well, I th- guess I think of something terrible happening to a group of people or, or at some place. Um, you know, a huge catastrophe or a mess of some sort that probably is hurt, injured, or maybe, you know, killed a bunch of people or even a small group of people. I guess also with disaster, and I think, again, I think this is maybe when I was writing just some bullet points here, I was kind of fresh off the movie, so I kind of thought of something very sudden and unexpected happening. Because uh, to me, I think a disaster, at least from one perspective, isn't necessarily something that is planned. It's just something that happens. Yeah. But also to look on the brighter side, and I think this movie, and recently we we had did, we talked about Sully. Um, I think maybe to a lesser extent, the album, um, it bring, a disaster can bring out the best in people. Um, it can also unify people who normally wouldn't work together. So I think there's kind of a silver lining in it, how people will... Um, kind of get over their their ultimately petty differences in a disaster that's yeah. what i think of what about you well i think kind of along the same thing a lot of the same stuff you would say but i also kind of thought of how widely ranged the ranging the use of this word is because people will use it again to describe things like you know the hindenburg disaster or the Deepwater horizon disaster and then they'll use it to describe things that are so minute as like their drive to work Oh, yeah. Oh, it was a disaster. I was so, 10 minutes late. And it's like, well, when you think about it, using the same word to describe two situations that are like light years apart, which I think is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, But the uh, same thing as you, I think of some like hor- horrid event. You know, you think of the worst events in our history, and that's a disaster. But like you said, too, I like what you said about how it kind of brings people together in a lot of ways. It can bring it brings out the best and the worst. In, in people. Right. And the, uh, the Deepwater Horizon, I definitely will talk about it later, but definitely kind of has that element in it. Um, and I think the album we're talking about really doesn't. It's sort of a kind of a desolate, pretty, pretty lonely look at um, some, some pretty horrible things hap- that could happen and <laughs> yeah. how they happen and stuff. But um, yeah, I think maybe based on what, you're, what you said about how people kind of use the word disaster in a way that doesn't necessarily seem appropriate... I think there's a couple words in our language that get overused, and I'm no, I'm no exception. I've done it too. A word like uh, amazing, I think, is also a word that maybe gets overused. Like, yeah, man, did you, uh, did you see, did you, did you, did you, dude, did you see the sunset today? It was amazing. <laughs> you know, did you see American Idol last night? It was amazing. It's like, was it really? Like, it's like the word amazing means like unbelievable, like so incredible, like it's here and there and disaster is like this is earth shattering but it's like oh man my pen exploded it was a disaster <laughs> is it <laughs> it's just when you're saying these voices and even like i know like your stutter was unintentional but you could totally i could totally see someone like sitting in in a living room like this is this is Drive was amazing. <laughs> oh man, that com- that Super Bowl commercial was amazing. And it's like it's not. And then hashtag amazing. Oh my God, man! Did you see J- Justin Bieber fall on stage? What a disaster! <laughs> <laughs> That's an actual dude out there. He's probably listening, going, "Oh shit!" Well, he falls sometimes. As his, he's as a his, person. As his pen is as his pen is exploding, <laughs> and he's watching the sunset. <laughs> <laughs> but I know I agree with you. And actually, it's funny you bring that up because. Um, um, the words amazing and one, I can't remember the other one. I got really sick of, of it. So I do say amazing awesome. for certain things. Awesome's another one. Yeah. So I stopped, I've stopped using amazing. And when I think something's really, really great, like when I really like something, I say prime. 
Well, come on. <laughs> because it's just, it's to me, that's like, that's my alternative. But maybe I'm overusing that now. I don't know. It's very different. That's for sure. It's prime. one of those things where if I heard you say it, I'd probably look at you and be like, really? That's prime. Are you trying to make that happen? I always say that people are like, is it because of Amazon? I'm like, no. That's what I was thinking. That was the first thing I thought of. Just something I made up. Like, I think of like Optimus Prime, that kind Do of you deal. really like him? Not really, because he's kind of a bossy douche. So now, if you if I do something, and you look at me and say that was prime, you're, I'm going to think, "Wow, Nate! Nate thinks I'm a bossy Nate, douche." Nate thinks I'm a bossy douche. <laughs> no, but no, I know there's a ton, a I know ton of words out there that are epic. Mm-hmm. Epic. I uh, like that word. Yeah, though. I like the word. I can't. I can't knock that one. Epic, bro. That, bur- that burp was epic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to loop all these together on audio <laughs> and just listen to them. We'll sell them as when I'm tones. feeling down. <laughs> That burp was epic, <laughs> dude. There's a there's our new business. That's how we'll get better equipment. We'll sell ringtones. That is my business. We could we could like I don't know our equipment's all right. Yeah, I think it's pretty solid. No, we have a good setup. Um, so onto our high priority news items. So um, American Horror Story, which mm-hmm. it was renewed for a seventh season. Do they? I did not read this article, but mm-hmm. do they have a theme? No, and I don't think they'll unveil it because i I, i'll be totally honest i don't really watch this show i've saw i saw the first season yep i honestly didn't care for it very much so i I want to watch it because so many people like it and you know i'm a big horror fan but uh, no they have not announced what the seventh season theme will be and i don't think they will because it was such a big thing leading into this season six which i believe the third episode premiered last week and tonight is the fourth episode of the season okay and they didn't announce the theme Really at all until the first episode had aired. They had done a bunch of teasers, like they did a kind of like a bunch of teasers that weren't related. So people didn't know what was going on, um, kind of as a, as a different approach. And f- I'm kind of interested in seeing the current season because apparently it's like a major, major change in direction for the show. You know, it's an anthology horror show where every season, while it uses some of the same actors and actresses, it um, doesn't. Um, follow a, a plot that is connected from season to season. This season apparently is sort of told in like a docudrama, like a documentary style hmm. fashion about, and it's called Roanoke, which is, you know, based on the, you know, the classic American story of the, the city in Virginia, I believe. Or Rhode yeah, Roanoke, I- Virginia. Was it Rhode Island or Virginia? I think it's Virginia. That's the city that disappeared. Right. All yeah. the people disappeared. And this is sort of a kind of a more modern retelling of a, of a, of an event. And uh, it sounds fascinating. Um, I, I'm, again, I wasn't a big fan of the first season, but I'm, I want to give it another shot. Do you yeah. watch the show at all? Or? I watched the, again, I was same boat. I watched the first season, wasn't a huge fan of it. And and since then, I've, I've heard nothing but great stuff about it. I think all these shows, when they're this popular, like, um, like you know, American Horror Story or Game of Thrones, I, I wouldn't Walking play Dead. in Walking Dead. I would not play your cards at all leading up to a season. Like Game of Thrones, I think in reality all they have to do is like a fifteen minute tease, a fifteen second teaser, or or a poster, or a poster, or something with an image that's like shocking, and they'll gain fifty times more buzz than they will with like a three minute trailer. Right. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm hesitant to watch it because honestly, I wasn't crazy on the first season, and I've heard a lot of people say the first season is the best, and I immediately go, well, yeah. I mean, and granted, the seasons are short, but um, I don't know. It feels like maybe something I'll do this winter when I'm done watching Mad Men that I'll catch up on these, mainly because I want to watch the current season and I have this weird OCD thing in my brain where I will not skip the five seasons I m- missed to watch the modern one, even though this is an anthology series. I need to watch it all. Mm-hmm. 
But um, yeah, uh, it's popular. It's and now it's on for seventh season. FX. Yeah, FX man. has a lot of good shows right now. Mm-hmm. A lot of stuff that's blowing up. For sure. And uh, just another FYI for everyone: it's Oscar season. Almost. Mm. It's fast approaching. Yeah. What are your early early predictions? Thoughts? Um. Well, as of today, I think the. In terms of the Oscars, like the big, 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 big awards, the number one movie I'm looking at, I'm predicting, is going to be the favorite for Best Picture. And it's early, so this could be totally wrong, is La La Land. And we talked about it previously. It's the guy who directed um, Whiplash. His name is Damien Chazelle or something like that. Um, It's his new movie. That's kind of all the rage right now. So I'm expecting that and perhaps Oscar nods for Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling in that as well. So I think that's sort of me looking into Oscar season, which we're just starting to see these movies premiere. Yeah. We're starting to see the big festivals open and close, and we'll start to see even in, I mean, we're just a month away from, we'll start to see critic lists, and, and, and we'll start to see end-of-year uh, nominations and award ceremonies and stuff getting announced before too long. So, um, yeah, La La Land, I think there's another movie called Moonlight that's got a lot of buzz around it. More pop, I think of all of the more sort of, Popular movies that have at least been released already. I think Sully is probably the most prominent. I think it's likely that Tom Hanks gets a Best Actor nomination. Um, I don't know. It, it, I don't. I think um, we're sort of, and, and a lot of studios are used to waiting until later in the year to to drop their movies that they think are going to get uh, lots award of awards, nods. right? Because because it, it's just historically common that movies that are dropped later in the year are the ones that do better awards wise. So those are my yeah. early predictions. I don't know about you. Well, for me, I, I think where the sun is barely cracking the horizon in terms of, uh, I, but I, I've heard good things about La La Land. Sully, I, d- I just don't know. Like, cause I haven't, yeah. I feel like I haven't seen enough yet. Right. Documentaries, I have no clue. I, I really have no idea what. I think Netflix is going to represent this year. Big, the, yeah. There was the we talked about the Amanda Knox one last week, and that's been, which I watched. Oh, was it good? I yeah. heard, I've heard sort of mixed things. Yeah, about it, it. you know, we can maybe we'll touch on, on that on movie of the movie of the week a little bit if we have time. But oh, okay. yeah, it was. I thought it was really well done. But they've been just like they ranking. They released another one called Thirteenth. That's people are saying is the best documentary of the year. That's mm-hmm. out on Netflix now, and I'm not sure what it's about, but. Um, People are raving about that. Yeah. It? So yeah. I think and the thing about and you know why they're releasing so many good releases is because for in the documentary category is that like they, they have the budget first off and the reach. That's the biggest thing is you always people always go and watch the Oscars and it's usually five to seven documentary nominations. Mm-hmm. You've never heard of any of them, maybe one or two. And right. now with Netflix, you can push it out to this monster audience mm-hmm. in a snap and it's it's the new i think that's going to be the new trend yeah and i especially agree with documentaries because i think first and foremost documentaries come out of the urge from filmmakers to tell a story or make a change or or bring something to light and and much less so than a a dramatic movie or a musical or an action movie or something Uh, documentaries have a point and netflix or any streaming option is sort of the perfect place for those movies yeah because they pop up and everybody's got Netflix and there it is and you can watch it. So it's kind of fun seeing how that's evolving because, yeah, I think if there's any category that streaming is going to maybe start to dominate and at something like the Oscars, it's going to be documentary. Yeah. 
Big time. It's going to be like, and next, Amanda Knox from Netflix, and next, other Dutch from Netflix. Yeah. Well, I mean, even last year, there was at least one in for best. Yeah. Uh, Nina Simone. Yep. That one was in, excuse me, for and then, best um, documentary. Actually, at before the Oscars, Cartel Land was signed to be on Netflix. Right. But they dropped, they didn't drop it, but they delayed it till after the Oscars. Why? I don't know. But... Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. But yeah, next uh, it's going to fly by. The fall goes very quick usually, and pretty soon we're going to be into November, and then we're going to see some amazing pictures. Um, so. Um, yeah, so it's kind of the early warning that, hey, we're going to be talking about the Oscars a lot Yeah, because it's fun. It is. It's fun to track, and once you, like I, I've said it, I think, four or five times, once you've seen all the films and then you go into the Oscar like show, it's a different, different, different thing. Mm-hmm. Different bees entirely. All right, when we come back, we're going to review our movie of the week for the disaster episode, Deepwater Horizon. You're going to hear the trailer for that in the break. Explosions. Triumphant music. Triumphant music. Mark Wahlberg. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Look at your smile. Guys. Guys, where am I? I think at one point. I don't know if he says, where am I, but. He's kind of got a southern accent thing going on in this movie. (laughs) All right. All right, so we'll review that uh, that movie, Deepwater Horizon, coming up next. Disaster episode. Again, the trailer in the break. Weekly Nurse will be right back. How's it going? Honey, show daddy. Not done. You did such a good job. Showtime. You can use your props. My dad is Mike. He works on a drilling rig that pumps oil out from underneath the ocean. And we're the explorers. Like Dora. Like Dora. is a monster. Like the mean old dinosaurs all that oil used to be. So for 300 million years, these old dinosaurs have been getting squeezed tighter and tighter, tighter. We get it, it. just use two tighters. Then Dad and his friends make a hole in their roof. And these mean old dinosaurs can't believe it. Free it up, so they rush to the new hole. Then smack. They run into this stuff called mud. Get in there. That they cram down the straw. Pulled the monsters down, we build them a new one. Yeah! Yeah! That was amazing. Oh. You're getting so heavy. Stay tense forever, please. Welcome back into Weekly Neurosis. Hope you enjoyed the trailer mm. and the explosions and whatever. Right. I, usually, I usually listen to the, the trailer after the show and I'm like. Uh, kind of on, kind of off. Yeah. So I um, feel like I saw the trailer for this movie like eight times in theaters in the last couple of months. When it was like marketed yeah. to bejesus and back. Mm-hmm. Um, but on to our movie of the week for the disaster episode, Deepwater Horizon. So the plot. On April 20th, 420 bra, 2010, uh, the Deepwater Horizon drilling rig explodes in the Gulf of Mexico, igniting a massive fireball that kills several crew members. Uh, Chief Electronics... Uh, Chief Electronics Technician Mike Williams and his colleagues now find themselves fighting for survival as the heat and the flames become stifling and overwhelming. Banding together, the co-workers must use their wits to make it out alive amid all of the chaos. The cast is Mark Wahlberg, Kurt Russell, Gina Rodriguez, James Dumont, uh, John Malkovich, Dylan O'Brien, and Kate Hudson. Uh, The crew is directed by Peter Berg, who was in the film. Uh, Screenplay written by Matt, is that Matthew? Yeah, Matthew Matthew Michael Carahan and Matthew Sand, uh, written for for screen by Matthew Sand, an original article written by David Rohde, 
Rote and uh, Stephanie Saul. Edited by Gabriel Fleming and Colby Parks Jr. The filming locations, uh, it was done primarily um, in New Orleans, Louisiana, but some interior filming was done in England, which also doubled as New York. Um, notes is that the oil rig that stands as the centerpiece in the film was actually made and is being considered by some among, among the biggest movie sets ever made. In real life, Kurt Russell is Kate Hudson's stepfather, uh, and this is the first time they've worked together. That's interesting. Um, and the film is based on the largest oil spill in U.S. history. Mm. So, Ethan, what did you think about Deepwater Horizon? Well, I really, I really liked this movie. I thought it was, um, it was, it was actually a little bit different than I was expecting. Right? I think going into this, having seen the trailer so many times, and just kind of knowing Mark Wahlberg movies in general, um, I guess it, it was about as sort of quote unquote cookie cutter as a movie like this is, but at the same time for this particular story, I think that's just about right. Um, I think um, it's a surprisingly, the thing that, I guess the thing that surprised me most about this was the pace of the movie and how sort of patiently paced this movie is. It doesn't just jump right into it. Um, It really takes its time setting up the rig itself, some of the different main elements of it, and more importantly, the characters in the story. So when things finally do go wrong, you care significantly more and you sort of understand what's happening a little bit more. So I really appreciated that. And uh, overall, yeah, I I think while it doesn't necessarily do anything phenomenal or new, it's not the kind of movie that is necessarily setting out to do it. So I I really liked it. I was was definitely moved by it uh, in in part. Um, So I I thought it was pretty solid. Yeah. And yeah, excuse me, I'd kind of second a lot of that. I think what was surprising for me was, again, how patient it was in certain spots where you, you expect it to move quickly and then they, they kind of delay it a little bit or they divert into something else. But mm-hmm. um, I agree with you that I don't think this is a story that should have been made into some huge, dramatic, you know, over-the-top, you know, story. It should have just been, it needs to be told as is, what happened, kind of what did these people, these men and women go through. Um, so I, I definitely appreciated that a lot. Right. But yeah, I think that definitely the pacing is what surprised me because um, I guess part of me, I, I first of all, I didn't realize until maybe an hour before the movie started when I really looked that this movie is less than two hours long. Like we're talking an hour and 45 minutes or something like that. Um, so that was kind of surprising because I think in general, a movie like this would be easily over two hours in a lot of people's hands. And I got to give it to the director for sort of focusing on only what needed to be focused on because, yeah, overall the structure of this movie sort of reminded me of Titanic, to be honest, where the movie is sort of split into two acts. The first act is all the build-up. There's significantly less romance in this movie, although it is an element, especially during the first opening scenes. But that first act I thought was just... First of all, I was riveted because I don't know anything about this whole oil rigs business, and they do a good job of sort of laying it out um, and sort of making it make sense, and I thought that was pretty fascinating. But I think the dialogue was was surprising to me, how witty it was between all the, the different employees and the different interactions between them. It seemed pretty pretty realistic to me. And uh, so, yeah, when things do go downhill, and they do, it, it kind of makes it uh, much more tense because you're definitely rooting for the people um, and uh, you know, that when it does get intense in that second half, much like Titanic, um, this movie gets very, very, very intense. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And it was surprisingly gruesome in some part. So I was surprised it was PG 13. Um, but I'm glad they didn't go too overboard with that cause that could have taken away from it. 
But um, yeah, so I think I guess another highlight I have in there is the characters. I thought they were all really strong. And, you know, like we've both said at this point, um, since this movie isn't trying, it's it's pretty it's playing it pretty straight for the most part. Um, These characters feel very realistic. I think maybe some of the characters who are quote unquote villains in the movie are maybe played up a little bit. Yeah. Maybe a little bit mustache twirling evil. But hey, you know, I'm not going to defend the people who are in a way responsible for this, but it seemed to maybe a little Hollywoodized in some parts. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, that was one thing I kind of had, I took issue with, but to kind of speak what you did about the characters, I thought one thing that was really good is the setting uh, or almost like situation around this movie. You, you always got a sense like when someone who is one of the like in charge personnel, like one of the leaders was in a room, all the other actors like almost kowtowed to them in a way. And they did it in a way and they filmed it in a way where you, you knew these certain people were in power but in everyone else, even in like minor little interactions of walking down a hall and speaking to someone, you get a sense that this person knows who they are. And it was just very mm-hmm. nuanced in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really I really dug that. Right. And I think based on the trailers, I was sort of ready for more of a Michael Bay kind of just sweeping and overly dramatic and, you know, lots of slow motion stuff. So I was really surprised with how genuine and realistic um, and felt. But, yeah, I mean, definitely when things go down... It's pretty hardcore. I, you know, it's pretty scary. There's maybe some CGI in it that isn't super strong, um, but it, it doesn't take away from anything. And yeah. I think the situation is so well set up that you always sort of get a sense. It's fun because of the first half of the movie, they really set up sort of the layout of this rig they're on. And it is, it's not like the biggest thing in the world. So it's not like the Titanic, which is so huge you could get lost in it for days. Um, you know, it's pretty small and they do a good job of sort of explaining it. So that kind of makes it even more intense where after, you know, the blowout happens and, and the, the disaster starts to happen on, on the Deepwater Horizon, because we should say that the name of the movie is the name of the rig itself. Yeah. Um, that after it goes down, it becomes disorienting for the characters and also us. And I just thought they did a really nice job of making it seem legitimate. And man, I, I mean, I was really tense during this movie. I was really, and you sort of, as it gets closer and closer, you sort of get a sense that, well, that's that's not right. This isn't right. Why isn't this being done? And some of the characters are kind of saying things that I was thinking. They just, I think it was a really well-made movie. Yeah. And I think, too, to to kind of speak to when the blowout happens and the, the drama is all happening at that point, they don't, like, there's a lot of films that will kind of shy away from that and just give you, like, an explosion. So you just see an explosion, you're like, oh, that person's gone. But they give you a very, very realistic look and feel of what life would be like if you were on an oil rig that was blowing up. Like, everything mm-hmm. blows up around you. There's just shit flying everywhere. Yeah. And it was so realistic. And, and without, this isn't really a spoiler, but they have a, an area called, I think it's the oil, the rig shack. Or something like that. Yeah, it's or the sort drill of, shack. The drill shack. Yeah, yep. and they give you a very like step by step. Like they take you inside. Of, they keep you inside of this little room, and they take you through the entire process. And it's so. Yeah. I, I that was a huge plus for me because as it's happening too, they yeah. do that. And I, I thought that was so amazing because you get a sense these characters are horrified, but at the same yes. time you're seeing what's happening to them. Because I think right. people needed to know that because I don't think people really know how bad of a, a thing this was. Right, and the, and the payoff at the at the very end of the movie on what happened to some of the characters and stuff, it 
you know, it, it's, it makes those scenes even better. But, um, I think another kind of, you know, maybe not the most clever sneaky thing ever, but like pretty much right away at the beginning of this movie, Mark Wahlberg's daughter sort of, yeah. And I, I, and I, and I was kind of with it cause I'm like, oh, she's so adorable. She's doing this, she's doing a school report about what her dad does for work and she wants to read it to him. And I was like, oh, that's so cute. And then I, about halfway through it, I was like, okay, so this is the filmmaker's way of explaining the entire yeah. <laughs> idea of his job to us without Mark Wahlberg looking at the camera and being like, oh, hey, guys, so we do this and this and this is my job. So I thought that was maybe, looking back on it, maybe it was a little bit contrived, but what are you going to do, right? It needs to be explained in some way, and I guess I would rather have it built into the movie versus having like a five-minute opening crawl like a Star Wars movie or something explaining yeah. everything. <laughs> it was really simple, and then, yeah, I agree. That was that was a good part. A lot of, a lot of little pieces that worked. Right. That's kind of the theme of this film. Yeah, I was surprised with how genuine it felt. But yeah, again, I think negatives, there, this isn't a perfect movie. I think the biggest one for me is that, and it's hard to criticize this movie because the story to me is so important, is so worth telling that this is not the biggest issue ever, but it just doesn't go that extra mile to do something crazy innovative. So it just sort of feel, it feels serviceable, right? Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I also appreciate that this isn't two and a half hours long, told in flashbacks and from... Tony character's point of view, because I feel like this story could have been made into a, a very bloated movie. Yeah. Oh, totally. And my my biggest, uh, well, not my biggest, but another issue for me was the, the villain characters, because at certain points, it's played by John Malkovich's character. And two other guys. And two other well. guys. But it's like, come on. It like, was pretty, like, he was basically one step away from looking at the camera and going, <laughs> I love money. I am <laughs> the evil. And, and granted, I mean, a big takeaway for, in real life w- with the whole thing was that these these oil companies are definitely not necessarily looking out for their own. And there's a lot of mistakes being made and they're not looking at the potential collateral damage from it. Yeah. Um, so I get that. But at the same time in the moment, it's just like, come on, if this dude was my boss in real life, I would have quit. The day I met him, I yeah. would have been like, get this psychopath away from me. He's going to get me killed. <laughs> yeah. And they kind of, yeah, they make him into kind of almost like a, a psychopathic. And I've, I've, I've read up a lot about the Deepwater Horizon. I don't, it was just a lot of like ignorance and stuff. It wasn't right. like, out, they, they make it seem like he's outwardly like, yes, I want to do that to kill people. Oh, yes, money. Is he like bathing in $100 bills? He's <laughs> It's like, come on. Just... It was a little too on the nose, but I, you know, those those group of characters. Because there's a scene when they're doing these pressure tests on the drill and stuff, where they're like playing foot golf and like <laughs> laughing and stuff. And I was like, come on, yeah, this is ridiculous. Even they at that point knew that this was a potentially unstable well, so there's no way they were that calm. Yeah, but I, I guess I will say that was a little bit. There's a little bit of retribution with sort of not what happens to their characters, but how they react to the situation. They definitely didn't see it actually happening and it Mm -hmm. did and this is a you know a real thing that happened to real people and what was it 11 people really died i mean that's no joke yeah (laughs) and and this movie doesn't try to play it up for a joke because it's tragic no it is and it's i mean it is a an incredible story the the concept of it and i mean they show it they do show this in not real time but in very a very real sense of what what an oil rig exploding and being on said rig would feel like. Right, because the whole movie really only takes place over the course of a single day. Yeah, I think it was right around like 12 or 14 hours that they went from like landing to leaving. Because he wakes up in his bed and goes to work and goes to the rig, and by nightfall, shit goes down. (laughs) Yeah, 
Pretty which crazy. Be, which would be crazy if that was your day. Right. You know, that'd mm-hmm. be a crazy day. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really have any other positive. I mean, what would you what would you rate this though? I'm gonna give it a solid eight out of ten. You know, I I I think I enjoyed this movie just about as much as Sully, but I feel like Sully was was a little bit more sleek. It was a little bit more well made. There was really no, in terms of the characters, there wasn't any like specific thing that kind of bugged me like small elements of this movie did. Um, so I'm going to give it an eight because I really enjoyed it. It's a, it's a great story. Um, I'm glad it was it was made in such kind of a well-contained movie. Um, and I definitely recommend it. So I give it an eight. What would you give it? Um, I'm going to give it a 7.7, 7, uh, mainly for downgrades, villain character, a little bit, like you said, a little bit too serviceable, too, too literal. Uh, but overall, I, I really enjoyed this film. This is, I mean, this is not a, a lift you up type film or an action film where you're like, oh, everyone's okay right. at the end. And they spell that out for you uh, pretty pretty well. But I, I've thoroughly enjoyed this film. Yeah, there's no inhuman acts of heroism. I mean, it's all, there are heroic acts, certainly, as there are in real life, but they, they aren't paid off with all their buddies putting them on their shoulder and going, yeah, you're the best ever. It's like, no, no. Yeah, it didn't. <laughs> this it was didn't. a terrible terrible helpless situation for these people and they did the best they could to survive and some of them didn't <laughs> yeah so that is deep water horizon and good film great we'll see and awards i don't know i don't think no, so i think I, so. no i don't think so i just think it's it's maybe a bit too by the numbers um you know what i mean mm-hmm. i don't know i feel like when i say that i'm demeaning sort of the importance of the story and because i don't mean to belittle the loss of life or anything here because it's an important story. I just don't think this particular movie is truly this great piece of, you know, cinema, you know, mm-hmm. I'd like, I would like to read a book or see a documentary about this as well. Cause I'm sure there's a lot of details that are maybe a little bit less dramatized. Um, like we said, the characters. Yeah. Um, I, cause they, there is a little bit of a coda at the end of the movie about how the two guys were talking about the BP guys were indicted for manslaughter, but ultimately released of the charges. Um, so that's fascinating to me. I'd like to read up on that and be like, well, what happened there? <laughs> yeah. And what was, yeah, because that's, that's another thing. I mostly read about like the mechanics of the explosion. And when you talk about the quantities of explosives that they were just under, it's like, how did anyone survive? Yeah. Because at one point, I think they said like all this, all this mud was like intertwined with, with oil and ex- like stuff that could just implode. And the amount of oil, I mean, it's, like the pocket of oil they were on was like bigger than most countries. I mean, you're talking an insane, I mean, what was that by the end of this thing? And this isn't a spoiler. I mean, this is just a fact of life that like 210 gallons were spilt, 210 million gallons were spilt. And that was only that was spilt. They, they I believe they closed the spill off eventually. Yeah. But man, that's bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> and that's insane. oil. That's raw oil. That is explosive as anything else on this planet. Yeah. Ugh. Crazy. So on to our high priority news items. Um, this one I read and I was I was a little little surprised. The fifth entry in the, in the Pirates of the Caribbean series has received a teaser trailer. Uh, the title is going to be uh, Pirates of the Caribbean: Dead Men Tell No Lies and Tales. Man, tales. What did I say? Lies. lies. No lies. Tell no tales. In a way, that's similar, right? They, I think that's like a tall tale is yeah. somewhat of a lie. Right? That's true, but. Yeah, another Pirates. I, I'm. I'll just say this: given the long string of flops of 
the fourth and fifth or third installments of these some some of the series as of late. I'm kind of surprised at this. Well, this has been in production forever. I yeah. think the last movie came out in like 2011, maybe 2012, yeah, might have wow. even been 2010. So it's been a while, but you know, whatever. All that aside, I don't think this is going to flop because first of all, the trailer to me looks great, and I am a if you know, I think my brother is aware of this. Um, I am a noted Pirates of the Caribbean apologist. I think all four of those movies are pretty awesome. Because I think it's sort of the what are you expecting mentality I have where these are just over-the-top, swashbuckling, action-packed epics that are totally unrealistic, totally ridiculous. I love the fantasy elements and the ships and the costumes and the accents and all the people and stuff. So I'm, I'm pumped for this. And this trailer looks awesome. Javier Bardem is playing Salazar, I think. And actually this movie's title in a lot of places outside of the U.S. is Pirates of the Caribbean Salazar's Revenge. And Javier Bardem is playing the Salazar dude, and he pretty much gets all of the screen time in this trailer. And I'm pumped, dude. I, I think this is. I think it's it's great that they're finally g- going to be getting this out there because I, like I said, I really like the first four movies a lot. And uh, bring it on, dude. Just I just want to turn my brain off and shove popcorn in my mouth uh, and or pretzel bites. <laughs> no, not into the pretzel bites. Maybe Sour once Patch I f- Kids. Once I figured, yeah. Once I figured out how pretzel bites were made, I was kind of like, oh. Well, don't tell me. Because it's like, well, it's like car- well, don't it's tell like, me. It's frozen, and it's like microwaved. It's oh, like, that's fine. On. That's like everything I eat. Everything I eat. No, I'm sure. Again, I'm sure it'll do fine. I just having seen so many, like long. But this is like a a benchmark. But people said that yeah, but about what benchmark series of like benchmark series. What was the last one that flopped? Oh man, like a series that was as popular as the first four Pirates movies were. That's true because you can't say the, like the Divergent series. That's not the first no. one was big, and then they all kind of. Flopped. It was that one. The first one was, wasn't even that big. You know, I think I, I don't know. I just think that this is the type of movie that I know Johnny Depp maybe isn't quite the draw he used to be, but uh, and I thought it was kind of interesting. They don't show him at all in this trailer. I mean, it's really Javier Bardem's character and uh, what's his name, the young actor Brandon Brendan Thwaites, who's been in some stuff. He's apparently in this as well. Ooh, and this movie also marks the return of Orlando Bloom, who wasn't in that, the... Uh, there right. you go. He wasn't There's an in, X Factor. Exactly. He wasn't in the fourth movie, um, so he's back here in this one. And I, I'm pumped. I love it. You know, I'm ready for some pirates going R and drinking rum. Yarg. And killing each other with swords and shooting cannons. Every time I watch one of those movies, I always go through a Yarg. I remember I was in a cab and I was paying for it for a couple of my friends. Like, I just was like, I'll pay for it. Fine, whatever. And then the rule was, though, anytime you said something, you had to say Yarg first. Yarg. <laughs> it makes me want to go to the liquor store and buy a bottle of rum that has a, a cork top on it and just, like, sit there and be like, Arg. Yarg. <laughs> Yarg. Oh, crazy. Um, our other big pieces of um, high-priority news. My gosh. Got to pull it together, Nate. Uh, Martin Scorsese's Bob Dylan documentary, No Direction Home. Uh, It's finally hitting Blu-ray this October with a brand new deluxe release. Mm. All sorts of bonus content. It's a 208-minute behemoth that has never been released on Blu-ray, and this release will feature two extra hours of material. Holy God, that's crazy! Have you ever seen this documentary? I have not. You should, dude. For a, a noted documentary fan, I feel like kind of a... right. It's kind of an infamous documentary because it's it's kind of it, it it focuses on Bob Dylan, but really only up until he quote unquote went electric in the mid '60s. So it really f- 
focuses on his folk era up until his turn and there's an interview with him that runs throughout the whole three for four, three and a half hours of this thing. It's really fascinating. You get to look at all these folk and traditional Americana musicians and like these just ancient musicians and how it all sort of played into the whole folk scene in the sixties. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. And I'm pumped it's getting released cause I, I have the DVD of it, but um, you know, I, it's one I like enough to uh, upgrade. Nice. So good. That'll news. be a good one. Good news. So on to by the numbers, our weekly segment where we cap the recap the top five grossing films in the United States of America and the occasional flops do occur in modern cinema. Mm. Ethan, start off with number five. Boom! Number five this week is Sully, which made eight point two million dollars in its fourth week. So total, a domestic total, well done here of one hundred and five million and a sixty million dollar budget. This movie's really had some staying power. Due to, I'm sure, its director and its star and its good word of mouth. So good for you, Sully. Yeah, good job. Number four this week was the animated film Storks from Warner Brothers. It grossed a total of 13.4, we'll call it just under $13.5 million, bringing its total gross to $38.4 million. It has a $70 million budget, and it's um, fallen short on its second week. I believe, though, this was an international. I can't remember if it was this or another international let me look up. I'm kind of curious how how well this this movie's doing. Um, Stork's box office. How much was this movie uh, made for again? Nate? Seventy million dollars. Seventy million. All right. So its total worldwide gross at this point is about eighty million. So, I mean, it's made past its budget. Yeah. So, good for Storks. Good job, Storks. I guess. Okay. Do so number number three this week is the Magnificent Seven, which just came out last week, I believe, uh, which made fifteen point six million uh, this last weekend and made sixty has made sixty one point five million overall. So number three dropped quite a bit, but uh, still in that top five. Yeah. And number two this week was our movie of the week, Deepwater Horizon, and its very first week it grossed a total of twenty point two million dollars um and that is its total gross on a budget of 110 million dollars yeah so not great not great not a great opening nope. internationally i don't know um i don't think i don't think this is very much an american tale yeah i i, I just okay and we'll we'll talk about it we'll, we'll analyze this a little bit more because let's do the number one spot first year the number one yeah. this last week is the other new release miss peregrine's home for peculiar children which made 28.8 million dollars in its opening weekend also on a 110 million dollar budget so it's it did better than Deepwater horizon but certainly not um you know much better <laughs> yeah um and for some reason and i and i theorize that it will i think miss peregrines may fall off quicker than uh deep water horizon yeah because i think well and the, the tough thing with that is is that it's uh, my instant hypothesis is like oh it's a kid's Sorry, but it's really not a kid's bo- like book or story. Right. It's young adult. So it's young adult. 28 in its opening, I mean, that's good. But again, on a $110 million budget. Well, so speaking of all this, then let's get into our uh, game, right? Because I think we can sort of analyze how these two movies did, right? So yep. how about you kind of, what are we doing here? So what we do is every week we're going to predict, and we haven't come up with a clever name for it. Not I'll, yet. I'll figure that out this weekend. <laughs> Uh, but what we do is we're going to predict each week the top grossing film for the following week and then what the total gross is. So we do a total in-the-dark guess, 
sometimes a little, you know, a little bit of research goes into it. Right. And we haven't yet figured out what a win constitutes. We were doing like the can't go over prices right rule. Yeah. We'll think about maybe doing a plus or minus. It has to be within a certain realm. So you at least have to put the put the ball in the green in order to win. Okay. Okay, so well, I have our predictions from last week, right? All right. So Nate, you had predicted that the, the number one movie of this weekend would have been Deepwater Horizon. Okay. And you guessed a opening weekend of $35 million, Ooh. which following our uh, um, Price is Right rules, that puts you at a loss. So yep. in, in me, I also put Deepwater Horizon as the number one movie, but on a very bold $55 million prediction. Whoa. So we were both <laughs> wrong. So based on these rules, until we establish something different, we both have failed. Yep. Uh, we both lost... Um, I guess we both sort of overestimated the draw of this Big movie. Time. Yeah, I'm just I, surprised because I I don't know maybe that's just me. I'm just this grumpy guy who hates Tim Burton movies now. But I don't know. I just feel like Deepwater Horizon would have performed better because it's the pe- people generally are gravitated towards these true stories, especially in America. And, Mark, and not to mention Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. That's why I think we had such high numbers. And and also too, I mean the marketing of it, right? I mean mm-hmm. that was insane. I, my my only thought is season maybe time of year people aren't just don't go to the films as much yeah i think you know september and october maybe at the beginning of november are sort of a downtime i think they gotta be yeah i don't know whatever we were wrong we were wrong so (laughs) so i won't give either of us a check mark i will remind you nate that i have technically won one of these games booyah so i'm up one 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 nothing so we're gonna predict again for next week Next week. So do you want me to go through the new releases yes, that are I coming think, out? I think that's fair to list okay. out the new releases. So for October 7th, this Friday, the new releases are Girl on the Train, The Birth of a Nation, uh, Middle School, The Worst. Um, my question is how many of these are wide releases because that's all that matters. I think only those. That's what I'm doing. Oh, okay. There's three or four. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, sorry. That have That have a plus sign on here. Middle school, the worst something, and then the siege of Jabet Jadetville. Okay, which apparently is receiving wide release. Hmm. Okay, well, I am going to predict. I'm going to predict that Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children repeats. It's repeats. number one. Okay. So I'm going to put on mine Miss Peregrine's, and I'm going to guess. Let's see. Carry the four. Multiply the fifteen. Divide by 28, cosine, tangent, 4, <laughs> pi. Use algorithm 5. Squared. All right, I'm going to say that's going to come in at number 1 with 20 million. 23 million. 23 million. Mm-hmm. So, hmm. Nate, what do you think is going to be number dun, 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 dun. one? I'm going to say uh, the girl on the train is going to okay. come in at number 1. Um, Money-wise... I think people are pretty excited. This is a this is a very 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 popular book, and it's been a very popular. I mean, the trailer did pretty well. I'm gonna say 35 million. Okay, just <laughs> totally off. I get it, <laughs> but we'll see. Okay, all right. So Nate, let's repeat here. I think Miss Peregrine's will repeat number one, and I'm predicting a pretty slow uh, weekend at the box office with 23 million, and Nate has. Boldly predicted $35 million for the new release, Girl on the Train, to, to make again $35 million. 
So we'll see how we some, do next some week. Some film ex- expert out there, is li- if they listen, are like, these guys are one of us. Specific, I don't Ooh, know. And I just Googled it now. Box office prediction. In the United States and Canada, The Girl on the Train is projected to gross around $30 million in its opening weekend. Uh-oh. Although some have it opening at a much lower, $18 million. Hmm. There's there's big trouble in Little China. The film is expected to play similar to Gone Girl, which opened to thirty seven point five million in October. No way. I was gonna say this movie does not have the stars that that movie had. No way. It's got I, the it's got the brand name recognition. I don't though. think this book is as popular as you think it is, buddy. Amongst the like forty plus year Gone, old. If Gone Girl only made thirty seven point five million, there's no yeah. way that this does that. Girls are gonna go crazy for this because this, this is a girl book. Go sit we'll down. We'll see. Sit I am down. sitting down. Yeah, well, go All sit right. down this harder. Is, this is bringing some juice to the episode. Son like of a bitch. <laughs> All right, so that is uh, by the numbers and yet to be named game um, for this week of the disaster. Maybe we should episode. call it the unnamed box office. The game. Unnamed box office. <laughs> Wonderful. We the, the the week you won, we, you got pretty close. If I remember, because well, we were doing closest with not going over, and I was under by like. Three million. Yeah, or so you were like really close. What the hell was it? Was that Sully? Yeah, it was yeah. Sully. Yeah. Cool. So you've won one win between the two of us. Good job, Ethan. At least someone's. At least someone's we both won. have to solemnly swear to not research box office. I think it's yes. kind of fun to and make. That's our... what I'm totally. I literally went on IMDb on the app and I just said, "Oh, there's these many things." Because I think it's fun to predict and then read that we probably are both wrong. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> So that, that is that, that segment. So when we come back, we'll review our album of the week, Danny Brown's Atrocity Exhibition, mm. and you'll hear music from that album in the break. And we'll be Glenn Rosas. We'll be right back with more of the disaster episode for the music. Welcome back into Weekly Neurosis. What was that? I think that was my stomach. Bloop, bloop, bloop. What the hell? Bloop, 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 bloop. Oh. Welcome back into the disaster episode. Um, this week, our album of the week is Danny Brown's Atrocity Exhibition. Boom. 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 So like Nate just informed everybody that this artist's name is Danny Brown. And this album is called Atrocity Exhibition, which we argue fits into our disaster theme quite nicely. So a little bit of background on this album. Danny Brown is a, and the artist in general, I suppose. Uh, Danny Brown is a hip-hop artist originally from Detroit, Michigan. Uh, After he released his second studio album, 
triple X in 2000 or 30, I think some people call it. Um, in 2011, he quickly rose in popularity and became one of the leading voices in hip hop, as well as one of the more unique voices in hip hop. Um, his higher pitched register, complete openness about his personal life and unflinching analysis of himself through his music are all cornerstones of his popularity. So this particular album, Atrocity Exhibition, is Danny Brown's fourth studio album and was released late September 2016. So just a couple of short, very short, I mean, just last week. Uh, it was recorded over the course of about two years and is being noted as a distinct change in style and pace um, from a more party-oriented type of hip-hop to a much darker, more mind-bending sort. Uh, and the album was released by Warp Records, who I believe previously released one of Death Grips's um, albums. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I don't know where they were under the same... Well, at least one of their albums. I don't know how... Rough I've... Umbrella. Right. So, Nate, what did you think about uh, Danny Brown's Atrocity Exhibition? Well, I really liked it. And I think I agree that it is a, a huge turn for him from his previous workings. Mm-hmm. Um, he's had uh, XXX, or I've heard it called 30, also had Old, his album, right. um, and a few other um, LPs and stuff. But I think this is a, a much more serious album. I think he takes, he looks at some pretty dark um, things, and I think he looks in the mirror, and there's some pretty dark thoughts. But I think with this album, you can't really look at it like straight on, because he's he's playing with such like strange, strange, strange beats and hooks and mixing and there's voices on it that aren't even featured that you don't even know. And it's just, it's so psychedelic. And mm-hmm. I think that's he's where he's always kind of wanted to get to, in my opinion. Um, so to see him finally here, I think it's a pretty, pretty solid album that he put together. Yeah. Um, this is one of the f- albums... First albums I've heard in a while that was so exceedingly bizarre and sort of strange, um, at least in terms of the genre it's in, but at the same time was so catchy because, to be totally honest, after only like the second time I listened to this thing, I already had like three or four of these songs stuck in my head, but it is crazy. It is a crazy album. Everything, like you were saying, from the beats and a lot of the mixing, which is very psychedelic and, and bizarre and like muddy and a lot of it's i i think that there's a lot of like punk rock influence on this um it's just strange how those elements kind of came together to also make such a catchy album because yeah this is super dark and kind of scary stuff and yet um man i've, I've really enjoyed listening to it um yeah i i think it's uh i mean honestly one of the top uh, hip-hop albums i've heard this year um, I, I really actually think it probably is my top hip hop album of the year. And I generally tend to like this more experimental style because I, I liked his album uh, 30 quite a bit, mainly because of his, his rapping abilities. But I, I'll be honest, I didn't really care for old that much. I thought it was kind of a lot of the same old party, get drunk stuff, which is present in this, but it's a totally different angle he takes um, where instead of glorifying it, he's there's a lot of lyrics about addiction uh, absolutely hopeless addiction. Yeah. <laughs> um, just, just the terrible effects and the, just the nonstop chain of chemicals that, that this, I don't know if Danny Brown himself is putting himself through this, but at least the characters in these songs are just this endless chain of self abuse and sort of pushing themselves to the limit of what is this going to kill me? I mean, but it's set to this just psychedelic, bizarre, loud mixture. And I really liked it. I, yeah. I love this album. Because well, I think a lot of people will think um, that like a hook is like made of drums and using this and that, but he's using like ambient synth like layers that you just don't see in hip hop usually. 
Unless you're, you, I mean, it honestly reminded me of Death Grips a little bit, mm-hmm. like a shades of Big Death time. Grips. But yeah, and and again though, just the the album's not upbeat. Which it, old was really upbeat, and mm-hmm. like you said, party get drunk, triple X, kind of a little bit of both. But this is kind of a path he's been going on for a while because he he uh, partnered with uh, Purity Ring, the group, yes. on a few songs. Awesome pop and group. yep, and um, I, I think that he kind of wants to. He want, always wanted to get to this type of type of album, um, but just it's it's weird. But like you said, if you listen to it close enough, um, and you're open minded enough, this album can really really catch you, and re- yeah. really pulls you in. Right. And I think, um, you know, lyrically, it's it's <laughs> the first couple of times I listened to it, I kind of thought like, man, I hope this guy is okay. Because so much of it, again, is about addiction. There's a lot of talk about cocaine on this album, a whole lot. There's even a whole song called The White Lions that's pretty much all about just the endless feeding of his own addiction and selling drugs and all this and that. And, you know, I think this is the type of hip hop album to a lot of people who abhor the genre genre would listen to and at face value, put it right in the trash and be like, well, this guy's glorifying this, that, and this and that. But I think to people who actually care for and analyze this type of music, they know that Danny Brown, I don't think is glorifying any of this stuff. No, because I think it's supposed to kind of, it's meant the, the album is to, Almost like you're supposed to be horrified by it, and t- you're supposed to take a t- step back and say, "Holy shit! Like, what? Are, what is this person doing to themselves? What are these people doing to themselves?" It's not, and I agree with you. I think a lot of people would take that road of, "Well, you're just saying, oh, it's so cool to do this, this, this," and but in reality, he's giving you a pretty kind of like the movie, a very blunt and honest, straightforward look at what what this is. Right. And, you know, and I don't necessarily think that he himself is going through all of these things. I think he certainly must have because it's so so much of it is convincing. But um, I mean, it's it's frightening. It's frightening, but it's late. And the lyrics are, are frightening. And, and some of it's kind of funny and some of it's kind of crazy and shocking. But um, the whole it all being set to this very muddled and psychedelic um, production sort of gives it the sense that you can tell that this person is aware, like say this, if you're taking this album atrocity exhibition as the sort of first person perspective of being on all these different drugs and sort of being going down, like the first song in this album is called down or down downward spiral. And I think that sort of is elemental of the whole album. I mean, if you sort of take that perspective, this is a person who's putting all these chemicals into their body and they're aware of their downfalls, but they're at the same time, they're sort of acknowledging that, well, this is my life. What am I supposed to do at this point? Um, yeah, it's pretty shocking. It's pretty depressing. And, um, but, but, you know, and, and, you know, if that sounds awful and like a turnoff, it will be it. Cause this is, like you said, it's not an upbeat album at all. No, Yeah. It's not. And I think people will be drawn to it cause he, um, and I keep putting thoughts in other people's heads by saying they will do this or will do that. But right. I think, honestly, a lot of people will be drawn to it because uh, because of old. And I know Kush Coma is like a lot of different people's favorite songs or songs. So, you know, I, I could totally see people getting drawn into it. But Well, and it's ironic, too, because there is sort of a similar song to that on this album, I think, called one of the last songs on here is called Getting High. Mm-hmm. But it, or Get High, and it's just spelled H-I. Huh? And it's sort of a just, the whole song is just about, getting laid back and just smoking some pot and stuff. But the irony of that song and this album is that the the 13 songs leading up to it were about doing all these insane hard drugs and this or that. And then at the end of the day, he's just going to, you know, he's going to smoke pot because he was stressed out all day doing all this other stuff. And so it's, it's, it's in a totally different context, but, um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty fascinating album. I think in terms of hip hop, it's definitely the most creative album I've heard this year. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty balls out crazy. 
Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it pushes the envelope. I'd say it's definitely in the envelope or whatever the the furthest point is. So. All right, so what are your, uh, if we can run through here, what are some of your favorite tracks on this beast? Well, I liked the the first track, uh, Downward Spiral. Uh, really Doe was really catchy, really liked it. Um, and I liked Gold Dust, too. Really? Okay, interesting, because Gold Dust was actually my least favorite song. Really? Yeah, I kind of felt like it was, you know, maybe a, you, I could see an argument for like the, a much-needed sort of more of a downbeat song. But yeah, uh, really dough with Kendrick and Earl Sweatshirt and Absol, awesome. Yeah, and that's I think the catchiest song in the album. That to me is like I, that's a, that's the real deal to me, man. I could play that song over and over again. I also like Lost a, a lot. Um, my favorite song on here though is Ain't It Funny, which yeah is okay. bonkers. Like it is it is the loudest and most crazy song in the album. I think and. It's sort of like the perfect example of how bizarre the production is and just the layers of crap and all like, because there's like a horn that's running this bass, but it's like this, it's, it's almost impossible to describe. Um, and the other song in there that was similar was the song Dance in the Water um, had, had a pretty ridiculous, overwhelming beat. And that whole song I thought was sort of about, what, what was he saying in there? Dance in the Water, but not get wet was like the chorus in the song. Yeah, or it was... Um... Yeah, dance in the water, dance and in the water. and I thought, and I kind of took that in the way of. I'd read somebody else. Was it? Are you gonna dance in the water? You're gonna get wet. No, you're. Or is he saying you're not gonna get wet? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. No, like try dance in the water and not get wet. Like I'm trying to dance in the water, but not get wet. And I guess I sort of took it in the, in the sense that he was, um, um, what is the other saying? Uh, playing with fire but not getting burned kind of yeah, like turning okay. that on its head mainly because i actually kind of speaking of water i kind of felt like the water element was brought up a lot on this album so i kind of felt like it was just the same concept of he was playing on the edge with all these drugs and all this all these crazy people and stuff and trying not to sort of fall in you know that's yeah. kind of maybe he did say the other thing but I, that's what i heard him saying yeah i honestly um, don't recall but i remember the dance in the water i'm gonna look it up look it up Dance in the water. We're looking it up. Boom, Google. Boom, 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 boom. Danny Brown, rapgenius.com. Great website. Wonderful never website. Been to it. Well, it's loading. But uh, yeah, yeah, let's see here. Dance in the water. And not get wet. And not get wet. Yeah. So, okay. But yeah, so anyways, I, I mean, the, the only song I really didn't like was Gold Dust, to be honest. Yeah. But it was not a bad song. I just did, No, I and I, I get where you're coming from. I just liked how it kind of was a, a mix up. Sure, sure. A little bit. Sure, sure, man. So, what would you rate this one to ten? I am going to give it a pretty high eight point five out of ten. Wow. Um, really, I mean, this is the kind of stuff I like, and I think it's similar to Death Grips, not just in that the sound is somewhat similar, but the the content and the honesty of it to me is striking. And it's just a shame that so many people will write this off as just garbage and and totally base. But I think Danny Brown is a very smart guy probably a pretty troubled guy too and i think this album sort of encapsulates all those things really well in this very listenable package but the reason i don't go any higher is because shockingly enough i think this album is too short Mm -hmm. it's about 46 minutes long and i think it sort of peters out at the end um, and maybe that was the point but um i almost feel like there were some ideas here that weren't fully explored yeah so i give it an 8.5 yeah and i'd be just above that at an 8.8 so I, I same pretty much same stuff. Um, I it could have could have gone. Then then again, I mean it is sixteen songs, but the songs are very very short. Right. Um, but yeah, production value on this is amazing. 
in terms of what they pulled off here. And I agree with you. Danny Brown's a very, very, very smart guy. His best friend's a cat, is a cat too. Just really? So you know. Yeah, his, he has a cat, uh, one of those like tall, really tall ones that are like, you've probably seen those that are, they look like tigers. All the Maine Coons? Yeah, he has one of those and it's like his world. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. He has some of the best hair in the game, too. Oh, yeah. He is, he looks like a crazy person. <laughs> and if you ever want a really good watch, uh, pitchfork.com over under. They did, they just Google pitchfork Dave, Danny Brown over under. Great watch. Ooh, also, wait, is that the one where he goes to the Gathering of the Juggalos? No, that's another good oh, watch. Th- yeah, I was going to say, if you haven't seen that where he goes to and performs at the Gathering of the Juggalos and he's like on the back of a golf cart and it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. It's some some good stuff. So that is album of the week. Good stuff. So on to our high priority news items. Um, Lady Gaga announced that uh, she will perform during this year's Super Bowl halftime. Mm. So moving from that's an interesting progression from the national anthem to the halftime show. Mm-hmm. In in many ways, that's a quantum leap. Right. So good. I'm very very happy for her. Right. She seems. And you know, I think I I'd read a lot of people like, oh, why her? I mean, it's pretty obvious. I mean, she's one of the most popular singers in the world. Yeah. So, yeah, great great for her. And I think we had previously talked about Adele being a rumored um, halftime performer. Clearly, that's not happening. And, I, you know, I actually thought about that, and I don't think you could pick a more boring halftime show. Right. Lady Gaga's going to wear, like, stands, a meat stands. Adele's does not move. She no. just st- stands there and sings. Yeah, Lady Gaga will come out, like, riding a falcon, wearing a meat suit, and there'll be, like, fireworks and stuff. There you go. You just yeah. came up with a show for her, man. That's what it's going to be. It's going to be bonkers. Yeah. And Can't say I'm the biggest fan of her music, but she's like the perfect choice for this thing. But, you know, when I'm when I'm drunk and watching the Super Bowl, the Packers are beating the <laughs> Broncos by 28 points. I want to see Lady you know, Packers see Lady Patriots, bro. Pad, yeah. They're beating them by 28 12 points. 12 v. 12. But, um, yeah, I think it'll be a great show. Yeah. So, yep. Good for her. And... Um, <laughs> And I actually read, and my wife and I were just talking about this last night, uh, the boy band superstars, the Backstreet Boys, they're taking up a residency in Las Vegas where popular acts go to sit in oh, the desert and oh, die. Oh. Uh. <laughs> now, be nice here because I, I have a couple of friends who are very excited about this and no, actually have already yeah. purchased tickets to go see them. Already? Yeah. Well, I suppose they, they, had, they probably already have the show set up. shouldn't be like... Yeah, people who we were Someone's just hanging out with this last this. weekend. Really? Yeah. I won't name names. This is a podcast. <laughs> the Omerta. No, but I mean, this is, if there was one group or two groups that were meant for a Las Vegas residency where people go to see them once a year or something like that, it's the Backstreet Boys or NSYNC. Right. One right. of those two. Absolutely. I think it's like perfect for them, but we should note that it's... um it's not like a permanent residency. It's sort of a test run, I guess, yep. um, to see how it goes. But, you know, Britney Spears has been there for, what, five years now? Yeah. No, maybe only three, but she's been there for a while. Um, Celine Dion. Celine Dion. She's been there for 10 years. Yeah. And then the other big ones are, like, some magic shows, Donnie and Marie. Mm-hmm. They've been around for, like... I think it's great, though, and I think, you know, there people think, oh, Backstreet Boys, that's so old, but you have to keep in mind these guys are not that old. They are still very much in their prime and I'm sure can still sing very well and, you know, like or hate BSB. BSB can sing, son. Bruh. <laughs> well, no, and they, um, I, my wife and I actually watched the documentary about them and their comeback Ooh. tour and they said, like, 
at the end of that, and this is very ironic, like, oh, if we could just, like, this traveling business is making us exhausted and wearing us down. Because they're old. And they're like, maybe what if we did, like, one show every so often and here and And I was like, that's probably where it started, was that yeah. that comeback tour. And they were yeah. like, oh, there's money in this. And they're a name that's so big. Yeah. I mean, they're. I, I think they'll be, I, you know, let me be optimistic for good old BSB here. <laughs> I think they'll uh, do, BSB will do well. Over in the desert. <laughs> Ethan Wazdovich, B friend of BSB. Have you seen my BSB tattoo? It's Bra. big. It's on my back. <laughs> no, I'm sure they'll do fine. It's in it's just interesting to see how that works. Do you have the the showmanship and the lure to be a regular show? Right. It's gotta be tough. Yeah. So we'll see. So on to our, our obsessions. So Ethan, what are you obsessed about right now? Well, I'll say this. Uh, I'll say this that I'm going to to Vegas a couple months too soon because I'm yeah. going to miss BSB. <laughs> but um, no, my obsession this week is Las Vegas because, I, ironically enough, uh, tomorrow morning we are flying out to Las Vegas. Nice for a couple of days. I've never been there. Very excited. Um, I always get the jitters a couple of days before traveling, so you know a good anxious, excited type feeling that I'm sure many people are familiar with. Yep, um, I'm pumped. Never been to Vegas. I'm not really a gambler, but I'm sure I'll do some gambling there. Um, we got tickets to see Beatles Love, one of their Cir- very popular Cirque du Soleil shows. Um, uh, my wife has some family who lives out there who we'll be meeting up with. I'm excited for that, and um, I'm just pumped to get get away. I got five days off of work and. Uh, Gonna go out to Vegas for a couple of days. Nice. Yeah. Hit up hit up a hash house a go go. It's like the best breakfast food you'll ever have. Like started in Ohio and for some reason they moved to when Vegas. When you said hash house, that's not the first thing I thought of. Yeah. Well they're like potato hash. I get it. No, I got it. It's actually a hash when house. When you said breakfast house, I figured it was yeah, no, potatoes. Good stuff, good stuff. Wait, what else would we what else would we be talking about? Hash? I don't get hash? it. Hash? So wait, is it is it actually hash? Because I want some hashish. <laughs> no. But it's it's like a it's a breakfast place. They have bomb food. Bomb is bomb. it better than Blue Egg in Milwaukee? I'd say by a tenfold. What? I think they it puts Blue Egg to shame. I would say eggs on your face, sir. Son, now go listen to some BSB. BSB. <laughs> Two months too soon. April, we're delaying the trip. <laughs> Jesus. So, what are you obsessed about? Ah, <laughs> uh, well, right now, it's just again, still more Dark Tower. Oh. Taking in the second book. Just love it. I didn't think I'd ever love a book series as much. This is the beginning of the end. You're barely into it, man. Barely, barely scratching the surface. Just wait until you get to the fifth book. You know why? Because it took him like 30 years to write that book. 30? Yeah. He stopped writing after the fourth book and decided to finish after he got a letter from a fan saying she was dying and just wanted to know how it ended. So he decided to finish it. Wow. Because there's an old lady that when I bought this second book... At Barnes & Noble, who was like, I used to read this series, Jesus. but I stopped reading it because they didn't come out with a book for several years. <laughs> I just pictured the oldest woman. She was, she's, she was she's got up. two canes, one in both hands. She had three canes, actually. The other one is a, an app that I've been obsessed with mm. called Cooking Fever. Sounds where you run a little restaurant. It's totally, it's like totally, ma- it's all math-based. It's terrible. Oh, that's horrible. I have a calculator for that, and I work in I a waited bank. for 30 years. <laughs> the saddest picture in my face. Yeah, but that's that's that. Next week, what, what's, what movies are we going to do here? Oh, shit. Okay, we will be good to do an episode next week, because I'm coming back from Vegas on Sunday already. And I have, okay, so a few we'll, days to we'll, we'll be no problem. Um, 
man, I re- maybe probably the girl with the train, huh? Yeah. Or on the train or whatever. I know. Yeah, I know. My my wife Amanda wants to see it at least. So. I don't know shit about it, so I don't either. I thought it was like a like I'm I I don't even know what I thought. It was. I thought it was something about some girl who like rides the train, and then I literally I thought it was she like lived on the train or something because my mom explained it to me when I was half listening once, and um <laughs> and now I find out it's like a murder mystery. I was like, and the previews looked pretty. I mean, it's got like a drunk Emily Blunt screaming at people, so it's yeah. got to be pretty good. Got to right? be prime. I'm ready. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Girl yeah. on the train. There's got to be tons of train based albums and and or beer. We could do. What's that Grateful Dead song? Riding that train high on cocaine. cocaine. We should have done that this week. Yeah. I just pictured Danny Brown driving a train when he's drunk. All right. So Girl and Train next week. Album, beer, as per usual, to mm. be determined. Well, we can't do Night Train anymore. A, <laughs> we sort of did it already. B, it doesn't <laughs> exist anymore. Psh, <laughs> psh. We should write a letter to Oso Brewing saying, Dear Oso Brewing I'm Company, dying and all I want to do is drink one last. All I want is a, <laughs> is a glass of beer that says Night Train on it. I'm dying. I heard this worked on Stephen King once before. Oh. Uh, dark humor. Would they be upset or honored? I don't know. That they got lumped in the same category as Mr. King. You don't know. A dad, you never know. The owner could be like, fuck Stephen King. Oh, that's terrible. I'm a Dean Koontz man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Michael Creighton fan. Ugh, get out of here, Michael R. Creighton. R.I.P. Hashtag. That's All right. true. That is true. Weekly Neurosis, everybody. This John Grisham. Disaster. <laughs> and his 10,000 books. That dude needs to stop making commercials. Is he still alive? That he's in. I thought he was dead. I think he's. I saw a commercial and I was like, read my new book. And he looked like like. The grim it's a legal murder. thriller. What? What? Shocking. <laughs> a legal thriller. All right, everybody. Weekly Neurosis has been the disaster episode. Next week, Girl on a Train. Follow us on Gonna Instagram. $35 million. Twitter, Facebook, at Weekly Neurosis. Maybe Snapchat. You can do you that. Go I don't have Snapchat, and I'm not going to get it. I'm old. I don't know if you can have multiple Snapchat accounts. We'll figure it out. Are you kidding me? It's 2016. Yeah, that's true. I have like nine Twitter accounts now. Ugh. I have three Instagram accounts. Including, I can't, I'm not going to do it. Oh, you got a secret one? You secret, it's a secret about? one. Full I'll tell you about it off air because oh, okay. we're not sure about the legality of it yet. All right. So Weekly Neurosis will be, we'll be back next week, everybody. Until then, everyone, please take care. <laughs>